Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Happy, happy Valentine's Day. It is a beautiful, gorgeous day wherever you are because we're in America, and that's what makes it so beautiful. And trust me, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about today that is uh, good, bad, and crazy. It is Three Martini Lunch. Chad Benson in for uh, Greg Columbus. As always, Jim Garrity is here. So yesterday, you know, we talked about uh, Tim Scott, uh, Jim, and today we've got somebody who was the worst-kept secret around that she was going to announce today, but uh, her and her high heels have announced, and, and I say that not because she's a woman, but because she puts it out inside the video, Nikki Haley running for president. Yes, uh, I believe the metaphor is that, you know, she stands up to bullies and when you kick in high heels, it hurts them more. Um, I, I've begun this, I want to say skeptical, but just, you know, wary of having uh, another 10 car pile up in a Republican presidential primary. I don't think that every promising Republican figure has to run for president to be a considered a success in public life. Um, but there's a lot to like in Nikki Haley. I think she brings probably one of the most balanced resumes uh, to the job. She has, you know, she's been a governor. She's been a state legislature, state legislator. She's been, uh, you know, involved in all kinds of um, not just managing a state budget, but also dealing with crises like the shooting in the uh, black church in, in Charleston. And then she spent two years as the U.S. representative to the United Nations and did so. Uh, one of the few figures who could go into the Trump administrations and come out with her reputation enhanced uh, and to leave on pretty good terms. Um, so I, I think by by all, every traditional measure, she is a, you know, the kind of candidate who deserves strong consideration from the Republicans in 2024. We'll see how things shake out. But she unveiled the, the launch video today. And I think it's near perfect. I, I think it's exactly the sort of thing you want to say. There's a lot of heavy biography stuff. She talks about growing up and being a, a daughter of Indian immigrants in uh, uh, in South Carolina. Um, she's got a little bit of everything. She's been on the board of uh, both Boeing. She departed after she uh, pro resigned the board in protest um, when she decided that it was getting too much in terms of uh, government subsidies. Uh, she's on the board of Clemson University. She's got her, you know, she's had a little bit of experience in all kinds of different worlds, which is probably good preparation for the presidency, where you're going to be dealing with all kinds of different issues uh, over the course of four years. So uh, on that sense, look, good for you, Nikki Haley. I think she deserves strong consideration. Um, it is entirely possible that as we get closer to uh, it, well, into the primaries, if she's continuing to get 5%, 10% and kind of dragging down along, along the bottom and their non-Trump vote is being split amongst four, five, six, seven candidates, and Trump is winning because Trump has the largest plurality, then I may have a very different attitude towards this. But at this point, she, you know, this is, I also think, by the way, there's a little bit of first mover advantage here. Yes, Trump announced uh, way back in November of last year, Tim Scott's expected to do it. Chris Sununu has taken some moves, Pence, Pompeo, some of these other guys. But I think having this official announcement gives her a little bit of uh a little bit more attention than you know you would get if you're the second, third, fourth, fifth person to do this, which I think you're going to see in the next couple of weeks and months. Jim, here's a question. I think that you know what, because uh, I I've thrown it out there. How many people are running because you know I always used to say Huckabee, not Sarah, but uh, old pops there used to run because he's usually selling a book or something. But some of these people they want to raise their profile, their speeches, you know, uh, their speech fees go up, whatnot. But how many of them are running to grab a cabinet position potentially and to be a VP more than they're running to be president? 
I, I think uh, a lot of people, Nikki Haley was probably going to be on the short list of to be the running mate of whoever the Republican nominee was to begin with. A good, successful run that does not uh, end in getting the nomination is likely to enhance the chances of her being seen as that kind of figure. And yeah, and, and I, we saw this last time with the Democrats when they had more than 20 candidates. I don't like this trend. My attitude is if you aren't serious about becoming president of the United States and commander in chief, and honest to God, if you're not ready to write letters to the families of servicemen who have died because of military operations you ordered, you should not be pursuing this job. If you want to be vice president, just say, I'd like to be vice president. If you want to be a you know secretary of this or that, go out and do that. Don't waste our time up at the debate stage because that's how you end up with you know too many candidates to appear at one time. And back in 2016, they had the main debate, and then they had the the pregame show, <laughs> the, the, yeah. the lesser debate. Uh, in 2020, the Democrats had too many candidates. They had to do it in two separate nights. Um, I think some like uh, Jay Inslee, the governor of Washington, was pretty much openly campaigning for the job of EPA administrator because he said he only wanted to talk about climate change. Guess what? If you're president of the United States, you're going to have to deal with a whole bunch of issues. So I just kind of feel like I'd like some of these people to get laughed off the stage. I know I know it's kind of mean. I know people say, oh, Jim, you're in the media, and it's not the media's job to say who should run and who shouldn't run. Well, no, I think we've turned into a situation where it's almost all upside if you're a political figure and you want to be a bigger name political figure to run for president. I think you know, these are basically book tours uh, that spend more time in Iowa and New Hampshire than a traditional book tour would be. Um, I think this is kind of wasting the time of the public. It's wasting the time of the media. It's wasting the time that really should be decided on selecting who's going to be the next leader of the country and the head of the executive branch. Um, but so I'm, I've raged against this for a, for a good long while, Chad, but I don't expect much is going to change anytime soon. Uh, it is three martini lunch. We just gave you the good. Let's move to the bad. And the numbers are in for inflation. Numbers don't look good. Uh, you know, Biden would say it's working. We just don't know how it's working. Yeah, well, <laughs> the problem for uh, for Biden is, is that last week in the State of the Union, he, he was ready to take a victory lap. You, you may notice this recurring pattern with Biden. You know, he says inflation is coming down. Gas prices are down a buck fifty a gallon since their peak. By the way, their peak was their peak was the highest ever back in June. So being down one fifty from the highest ever isn't really that great. Uh, food inflation is coming down. Inflation has fallen every month in the last six months. While take home pay has gone up. You hear that? Like, oh, okay, finally, we've got all this stuff behind us. Eh, not so much. The new inflation numbers came out. The consumer price index numbers uh, rose one half of one percent for the month, which is a big, you know, which is a really surprising number. Annual gain six point four percent, which isn't as bad as some of the previous ones. But keep in mind, you know, some of this this inflationary rate started in uh, early twenty uh, late twenty twenty one. So when we say, oh, it's only six point five. 6.4% compared to a year earlier. Yeah, it had already jumped a year earlier. So you're saying it's, it's higher compared to the already high numbers of February 2022. Uh, I'm sorry, of January 2022. Um, and this is more than economists expected. Core CPI up 4%. But here's the really significant, you know, one, energy is a significant contributor, right? Right after Biden brags about how gas prices are down, he says energy is up. And oh, by the way, gas prices, yes, they are down from June. But by historical averages, the, the national average right now is pretty darn high. Um, food prices are up 5%. That's really bad. Um, and uh, oh, by the way, you know, real pay for workers is now down. Average hourly earnings fell 0.2% for the month. And we're down 1.8% from a year ago. That's according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. 
all really lousy numbers. And, uh, you know, this is this recurring pattern. The moment Biden sees any economic indicator that shows the slightest glimmer of good news, he spikes the football and he says things are great. And look at this and all that stuff. We've turned the corner and all that stuff. And then the following month, you get numbers that go point in the other direction. And he says, ah, this says we have to do more. It, it is kind of very frustrating that uh, this administration really can't, you know, he's always what really wants to brag that this problem is solved when they're in step one of a 10 step process. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's frustrating because, you know, it, it, it's amazing because the media go out and they'll shill for them all day long. And the reality is, is no matter at the end of the day, I've always said it's about the economy, but it's how you feel in the economy and nobody feels we're going in the right direction. And what was once I could save a little of my paycheck went to, well, at least I'm breaking even to now I'm falling further behind, even though I got a raise. I don't think people understand that. It's just completely seems to be missed by this administration in particular. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, look, this stage was set for this administration to have a real comeuppance in the midterm elections. Uh, you look at the exit poll numbers. Americans were frustrated by the state of the economy. They, you know, the poll numbers for Biden are still very low in terms of when you ask people, do you want to see him serve another four years? Head-to-head uh, -head matchups against Trump are, are not particularly good. Uh, there haven't been a ton of data showing Biden against DeSantis or some of these other options. But I suspect in the coming weeks and months, you'll see more of this. And I don't expect Biden uh, to do particularly well against that. Having said that, unfortunately, the Republican Party nominated a bunch of guys who were not what the electorate was looking for, who came across as a freak show. And if you uh, do that, in some cases, they will stick with the status quo. And that's what happened in just enough states and enough places. So uh, it's frustrating. I, I think, you know, because Biden has always um, been able to compare himself first to Bernie Sanders, then to Donald Trump, that he think he walks around believing he's more successful and more popular than he is. We'll see if uh, reality catches up to him. But I think, that unfortunately, this indicates that 2023 is not going to be economic smooth sailing for the country. Uh, Chad Benson in for Greg Columbus. It is the three martini lunch. As always, Jim Garrity is here. We've got to, you know, we've got to look around here and we've, we, we've given you your three martinis and the third one is coming and it, we touched on it. I've touched on, it. I think you guys have touched on it a thousand times. I think a lot of people have, and it's a question that people are asking in the crazy side of our martinis today is, you know, at some point there's got to be an end to all of the money that we're pumping into Ukraine. We'll stand by you, but apparently there might be a number that is too big for us to go uh, over. We spent 50 billion, us and some of the other allies, mostly us on propping them up, but, We've got a new sheriff in town in McCarthy, and I don't think this is going to last forever. No, it's not. And one of the great ironies here is that last week in the State of the Union, uh, President Biden was, you know, people, uh, you know, listeners probably remember the uh, Ukrainian ambassador to the United States, Oksana Markarova. I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. Biden did not pronounce her name. <laughs> he just said her the ambassador. Uh, said, Ambassador, America is united in our support for your country. We will stand with you as long as it takes. Well, it turns out this morning, the Washington report, Post reports that behind closed doors, the Biden administration's message to Ukraine is pretty much the opposite. They're saying that, look, the recent age packages are probably as big as they're going to get. We're not sure what the Congress is going to support. And Europe's long-term appetite for funding the war effort remains unclear. And they quote a senior administration official saying, we try to continue to press upon them that we can't do anything and everything forever. That's not the. That's pretty much the opposite of saying we will stand with you as long as it takes. Uh, 
Um, and I think one of the one of the reasons that there's uh, considerable disagreement in this country is that there's been an avoiding of the kind of hard, realistic discussion. I am a supporter of U.S. efforts to support Ukraine. I think Russian aggression must be countered. It must be stopped. And by and large, we're getting pretty good bang for our buck. That having been said, we're not made of money. This has already depleted military stocks that apparently were probably too low before the war started. I think there are significant strategic advantages to this. We are eliminating the ability of the Russian army to threaten the rest of Eastern Europe, including our NATO allies, for a good long time. We are sending a message that you cannot one big powerful country cannot simply uh, conquer and acquire a smaller territory. I think we very much want that message to be sent loud and clear to Beijing to deter a potential Chinese invasion of Taiwan. Um, and it's important for basically saying, look, we've uh, the, the, this sort of behavior from Russia. Uh, will not be tolerated and to de demonstrate that the U.S. is still the, pri the primary geopolitical power on this planet and that we have an amazing ability to louse up your day if you decide to cause trouble, kill innocent civilians, things like that. Um, but we don't have, we are not made of, of money. And the, a more realistic discussion would say, okay, this is what we can realistically contribute. This is what a realistic expectation of our European allies to contribute. Um we would ideally be giving the Ukrainians what they need when they say they need it instead of waiting a couple months and hemming and hawing. That's what happened over the MiG-29s. That's what happened over the Patriot missile batteries. That's what happened over the M1A1 Abrams tanks. And apparently, you know, when Biden said last month, we're not going to be sending them F-16s, apparently nobody believes him. Uh, the Pentagon fully expects that decision will be reversed at some point down the road. And the UK has announced it's starting to train Ukrainian pilots on Western fighters meaning they expect Ukraine to have access to Western uh, jet fighters in the not-too-distant future. Oh, by the way, there's a longer-range missile system that Ukraine wants. Once again, we're saying that we're not going to give it to them. The question will now be like four or five months down the road, does Biden change his mind and say, oh, yes, I guess you do need this. Okay, here you can have it. Um, we are in this very frustrating pattern in which we're helping Ukraine, but we're doing it in dribs and drabs. We're always sending it after, you know, months later after many Ukrainians have died. And Russia's trying to turn this into a war of attrition. Russia wants this to turn into a long, bloody slog because their attitude is they have more conscripts and convicts that they can throw into the war zone than Ukraine has, uh, you know, fully trained men. We'll see how this shakes out. But at this point, I find it really frustrating. And I also find it just this perfect irony that one week after Biden says to the whole world watching, we'll stand for you as long as it takes. And then a week later, they're saying, eh, not really. It is, uh, well, it's everything that is politics in today's world. You mean I said that last week? Yeah, but I didn't mean, I yeah. meant that last week. This is a whole new week, and this is what I mean. And and again, I, I think a lot of people, Jim, think it, it feels like if we're not fighting this thing today in the pseudo war that's going on, we may fight it tomorrow. And I know that they're pushing, and I think China and them are both pushing the boundaries. And you had the guy that runs... Uh, you know, the Wagner group come out and say, uh, as well as the guy that runs Chechnya, said, hey, the, the, this, he, he's got eyes on a bigger prize in places like Poland. And, and you know, that's the fear, right? That eventually we're going to get dragged into this thing. You know, ideally, this would end with Russia having been humiliated and having had its defense and its military depleted so badly that they really can't threaten anybody else in Eastern Europe for generation. And that they learn the, the hard lessons that, uh, these other countries in Eastern Europe are not pitiful and defenseless and easy pickings for Russian aggression anytime they want to feel big and strong and deal with historical grievances again. Uh, because I do not, uh, you know, but at this point, it may not be the case. And at some point, there's always a chance that Russia decides uh, the best way to resolve the problem is to escalate it, make it bigger. 
Um, that's uh, what we hope so far has been avoided, but we don't know how this is going to shake out. And I think that reflects, you know, this ultimate conflict in the mind of uh, in the in the mind of Biden that he wants the war to end and he wants Ukraine to win, and he doesn't realize that those two goals are probably contradictory. Crazy, crazy indeed. We gave you the crazy. We gave you the uh, the good and the bad today. Three martini lunch. Chad Benson in for Greg Grumbus. We'll be back later on this week. You can follow me at Chad Benson Show, and of course, uh, you can follow uh, uh, Jim Garrity uh, in many places. Jim, tell everybody where they can follow you. Sure. Uh, at nationalreview.com. Also, intermittently, I write in the Washington Post. I had an item about China and the Republican primary yesterday. And as always, I'm on Twitter at Jim Garrity. <laughs>